Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome back to The Stacks. My name is Tracy Thomas, and I am your host here. This week on The Stacks, we are discussing Maureen Orth's true crime book, Vulgar Favors, The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind all of you to subscribe to The Stacks wherever you get your podcasts. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate any rating or review you give. On today's episode of The Stacks, Broadway choreographer Sam Pinkleton is back. We discuss Maureen Orth's book, Vulgar Favors, The Assassination of Gianni Versace. This book tells the story of serial killer Andrew Cunanan, his life, his murders, and the death, of course, of Gianni Versace. Sam and I discuss this book, the crimes, but also we discuss the overall tone of this book. We look at the idea of gay crime and why that term and so much more of this book is more than a little problematic. There are spoilers this week, but since this book comes from true crime, there really isn't much for us to spoil. It happened in 1997, so the details are very much out there. Everything Sam and I discuss this week will also be found in the show notes. You can feel free to listen and then go back and check out some of the articles and books that are relevant. Okay, I'm done blabbing your ear off. It is time for my conversation with Sam Pinkleton on the Stacks Book Club. So thank you guys so much and I hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Stacks. Um, It is I, your host, Tracy Thomas, um, and I am joined again by uh, choreographer and director Sam Pingleton. And this week, we are doing our Stacks Book Club conversation about Maureen Orth's book, Vulgar Favors, The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Um, Hi, Sam. Welcome back. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So for those of you who don't know anything about the book, basically the book is about... um, Andrew Cunanan, who was a serial killer in 1997 who killed four men and then proceeded to kill another man who was very, very famous. And that man's name was Johnny Versace. Um, And the book is Maury North, who is a journalist. It is her deep, deep dive into... Deep dive. Deep dive into this murder spree and the life of Andrew Cunanan and the men that he murdered and, you know, kind of trying to put it all together. Um, And I'm just going to say this right now from the beginning. The murders happened in 1997 and the book was published in 1999. So there is definitely a lack of um, 
scope or context given to a lot of the book, which I think is what Sam and I are going to mostly talk about because reading the book almost 20 years later feels like there's a lot missing. So with that being said, Sam, why don't you tell me kind of like your general feelings or thoughts about the book? Sure. Um, I, I struggled with the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What I, what I really appreciated actually was, um, you know, the book is a deep dive. It's very clear that this woman is obsessed with this story. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting that she, you know, was writing for Vanity Fair and, uh, sort of started working on this piece about Cunanan, 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 you, know you say Cunanan, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, started working on this piece for Vanity Fair and as she was working on the piece, he kept killing. And so right. it became more and more interesting. And then she ended up actually being on the trail of the Versace moment, right. which was, you know, a two-week manhunt, basically. Sure. Um, so that kind of spiral is really interesting to me. And therefore, this book provided uh, a fair amount of kind of historical context for a, a moment in, I would say, at this point, pop culture yeah. that I understood very little about. Sure. Um, and that I'm very grateful for. That being said, um, it is a long book. It it could be 200 pages shorter. Solidly 200 pages. It's 500 pages, pages yeah. and it could be 200 pages shorter. And I think that – so one of the things that is troubling for me about the book is that um, as a journalist, Maureen Orth goes and she interviews like tons of people. There is, There are so many <laughs> names in this book. You have no clue who's who. At any point. At any point. Hundreds of gay people. The only names that I actually am certain that I know who said what are Andrew Cunanan, Gianni Versace, and Donatella. Like other than that, yeah, it's just a bunch of people named Michael from Michael, San Diego. Michael, David, like, Don, like <laughs> Richard. You have to kind of like draw a map of the people as you're reading. <laughs> we need like but, a web. <laughs> but but then, I mean, it, I struggled with it so much as as reporting because A, you're continuously like, wait, where are these sources coming from? Who and what is people? verified? And also... And how is it verified? Yeah. And, and, and I think to your point, Tracy, about like this was written 20 years ago you said this to me the other day, like, I think that it's kind of written assuming that everyone is obsessed with this story. Mm-hmm. Everyone's coming to the story with some information. And also that this will be one of the great enduring crime stories of our time, right. which it kind of isn't. I mean, I know right now there's that FX thing, right. so it's kind of back, but I just felt like there are so many things that were presented as super important and mm-hmm. people that you would care about. And then they kind of disappeared. Right. Well, what's interesting, this is like totally not about the book, but something that I found that was really fascinating is that this happened in 1997 and it was a huge deal at the time. But about six weeks later, Princess Diana died and she was connected to Versace. They were pals and Elton John and this and that. And I think that it's crazy that people don't really talk about these two events connected to one another, but also that that really eclipsed this whole spree and this whole Andrew Cunanan thing and that that became the the crime story of the year and of the next few years. Like it had been OJ was before, then this happened and everybody kind of thought this would be like the next OJ thing and Maureen Orth is obsessed, obsessed with OJ in this book. He comes up at least 10 times for no other reason than just to say because of OJ police do a bad job or like because of OJ the news was there yeah it i mean it definitely reminded me and it, it, of course it, you can't help but think about the Vincent Bugliosi book outrage which we talked about but um it reminded me of how that OJ the whole OJ moment like took 
our whole country hostage. Sure. And I feel like she's capitalizing on that, honestly. She is. Like, she's I feel like, like really she's trying like, to just name him. She's like, I, I know that you only understand uh, like celebrity crime right. one way. So right. I'm just going to continuously try to frame this via right. OJ. And she's also obsessed in this book with celebrity things. She names so For many sure. books and movies and, and TV shows and Lisa Kudrow comes up and Air Force One comes up and there's like all these little references to um, – she quotes Tupac at one point yeah, about yeah. Versace and I'm like, this is so, you know – well, it, but she's also writing. I mean, she's writing about somebody who was also obsessed with the mm-hmm. celebrity, and somebody sure. who was obsessed with like who would you you give him an inch and he takes a mile in terms of anything that is buzzy and, right. and fancy. Sure. Um, but I also think that like she's oddly accidentally guilty of that. I would love to know if she's conscious of that. But right. it does feel like the like the whole book kind of has this tone of like one time I was at a party with Jennifer Aniston's cousin. Sure. To- it's so <laughs> weird, and it's it's hard to know if she's doing it on purpose or if that's her, also just who she is yeah. as like a pop culture writer. Um, so obviously, well, so maybe not obvious. If you've not read the book, um, this book is has a lot to do with gay culture. Um, now, one of the first questions that comes to my mind is why is this woman writing this book about gay culture? Because it becomes pretty apparent pretty early on that she has at best um, a judgmental take on homosexuality and at worst is um, is n- disgusted by gay people. Yeah. It feels like that. It's, I mean, it, so reading this um, as a real live authentic gay man – uh in the flesh i am yeah which, in the studio with a real gay person i, I don't want to i don't want to scare anyone but uh <laughs> they're definitely i mean i sort of had two takes one more optimistic than the other one was as you say i was like wow we really um i feel like i it definitely resonated differently to me as a gay person which surprised me honestly um and i was like okay so we're kind of just um we're just kind of saying that like gay people as a culture are in addition to mostly being or engaging with hustlers um, and like super into crystal meth, like also really only like sex obsessed and material obsessed and, and also money obsessed, money obsessed and, and also like obsessed. very ashamed to be sure. gay, like very ashamed to be sure. gay. Um, and so that was, you know, a bummer. Mm-hmm. And then I also thought we've come a long way in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, there's no world where this book would be, have the tone that it has now, no No possible world, but also the, I, I kind of buy some of the communities that she's creating, especially she, she talks a lot about, um, older, wealthy, closeted gay men. Sure. Um, and that kind of secret network, which I'm obsessed with and would love to read a book about. Yes. If anybody has one. <laughs> Please send us your recommendations for closeted, older, wealthy gay men. That's right. Um, but I I was like, oh, this is I, – I, I understand how these communities could exist and could feel this way. It's a bummer. Right. Um, but I, I, I wanted to give her the credit of the moment we were in was one. I mean, one of the things that I think is really deeply sad and I think probably true – is the way that um, the sort of continuous cycle throughout the book, because there were so many, sorry, okay. there were so many, uh, not only victims, but also witnesses and friends of Cunanan 
who had a troublesome relationship talking to law enforcement right. simply because um, it would out them. Right. You know. Um, and also to the reporters later on. Yeah. Like like two, maybe three of the victims of five were basically outed by being killed by Cunanan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we found out that Versace was HIV positive after so the fact. So it turns out that that piece of information that's very prevalent in the book is still disputed by the Versace family and is actually Amazing. not verified because the person who says it is a is a police officer or a detective or something who says that he saw these documents that he should have had no right or ability to see, Whoa. which is why the Versace family is very adamantly against this book. Um, and here's what they say. They say that this book is full of contradictions and hearsay. And a lot of that has to do with, um, with that HIV thing. So in the book, she posits that Versace is HIV positive and that has not been confirmed, and other people who have written books about this have said that it's not true. So it's still, but she puts it out like F A C. Oh yeah, for fact, sure, she does. Capital fact. Um, I just only know more about it because with the FX show, the Versace family is against the FX show because it's based on this book that they find to be full of contradiction and hearsay, which it is. Like, there's a lot of sources that contradict each other that she includes in the book. Um, and there's a lot of hearsay in the book. It's like, I yeah. I feel like Versace knew him. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. So she she takes her sources, her myriad of sources, and she has some process that she decides who's right and who's wrong, and she goes with it. And it seems like a lot of stuff is we're not quite sure what the truth yeah. is. Well, and it feel it, it's it's like dizzying, and it's part of why I found this book really stressful as reporting. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like I feel like the ground she's standing on is really shaky. Mm -hmm. She's writing about somebody who was a career liar. Like everything he did was about lying. lying. Um, And then it's also about uh, the faultiness of law enforcement, like law enforcement just like dropping everything. And it's about the incredibly wealthy, incredibly powerful, incredibly influential and secretive Versace family. Sure. So like, uh, like you can't trust anybody, anybody in this anything. story. Right. Like, and it, it, I feel like everybody's kind of covering their ass. Right. Everybody's speculating. Like the, the Versace piece of it is actually totally terrifying. And right. I'm very curious about the book that is about the mafia conspiracy theories. Yes. About co- the connection to that. And um, the Versace, like the whole book being based on lies and this and that, the only people who are really like super forthcoming with their information are people who we find out later in the book had been um, paid a lot of money by like hard copy. Or and, tabloids. Or tabloids. Literally the National Enquirer. Someone made $85,000 <laughs> for a lie, a lie story, a story that they made up for the National Enquirer. So like these are her sources. This these same she doesn't but pay them. Th- that's not presented up front. It's not presented you learn up it front. On you page learn 30,000. You, you learn on page like 500 to 525. Yeah. Like she's like, "Oh, by the way, everyone I spoke to got paid a billion dollars to talk about this." Um and also that other people chose not to speak because of the money. Like they didn't want to lie, mm-hmm. etc. So like the people who are the most you know, quoted in the press and stuff, all of these people have made money off of this situation and they're talking about things that were said to them by a noted liar. Like the only thing yeah. we know for sure about Andrew Cannon is that he lied all the time. All the time. Was a pathological liar all the time. 
everything everything he said he also said the opposite yeah. basically except for the only thing that he didn't ever talk about was that he didn't have any money yeah yeah i i, I don't i i don't know that I, I feel like i know more about this moment reading this book mm-hmm. but i actually don't know that i know more about what happened necessarily sure. well i know a little more because i didn't know i just knew about the versace getting shot i didn't know that he actually killed two of his own close friends um a ex-lover and a estranged best friend yeah. um so i didn't know that um so i did find those sections like when she starts talking about what actually happened the murders I found that stuff really interesting. Yeah. But also that says a lot about me because I love true crime. Well, and the, th- I mean, I actually think the most interesting murder, the most interesting murder yes. uh, is the third one. With, Lee Miglin. Lee Miglin or Midlin or whatever his name is. Um, this wealthy, super wealthy, super influential Chicago guy married to a home shopping network cosmetics queen. Go- queen. queen. Um, and the potential, and it's tricky because now I'm like indulging the dark side of Maureen Orth. Right. But like, you know, there's like so many ways to read that as like, wow, this like wealthy, straight, influential Chicago guy had like a secret gay, like drug addicted hustler life. Sure. Um, but like, it's not, there's not actually ground to stand on with that. So am I like, it's all speculation. It's totally sensational. It's delicious. Delicious. But it's like a kind of a bummer yeah. because the, the you can't, you, you can't actually, there's because not enough the to people into. who are in the room are dead now. Yeah. Like, so there's no, you know, and then all the people who are speculating are the people who are paid $85,000 to give a picture of Andrew Cannon. And this book is written at a time that was like so perilously on the threshold between technology and not technology. Right. There's a part like, where she says, and then on searches through the World Wide Web. World Wide Web. I have that highlighted. <laughs> I, was, I read it out loud to my husband. I was like, World Wide Web. She just said World Wide Web. She also was like, I dropped everything. I went to the nearest payphone oh, and yes. I called the headquarters of Vanity Fair. It's just, it's, and you know, they're like tracking his car phone. Right. Like a large piece of it is about car phones car phone. and like the elaborate wiring of the car phone. Um, so it just, it, I mean, this story would obviously unfold very differently today. Yeah. Um, but it's one of the most clumsy things about the story is just like, we're, we're in like technological puberty (laughs) as a nation. Yeah. And so just like everything is a, like just tough. It's pretty clumsy. Yeah, it is. And it comes out in the way she's writing it. It does. It totally does. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last Three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have 
considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Other things that come out in her writing, and I think we talked about this a little bit, but I want to double down on this, on her tone, because it is a tone. Like she <laughs> is, Will you describe it, Tracy? Yeah. So I take notes when I read these books, and I just kind of take like little notes, and I put a page number, and I would say maybe four times in my notes it says – does Maureen Orth hate gay people? Is Maureen Orth homophobic? That's right. Maureen Oath is grossed out by gayness. Um, and, you know, without slandering this woman, because I don't know if that's true. And, and also, she is allowed to evolve in the last 20 years, like all of us have over whatever issues um, that have come up in pop culture or whatever. But it, her tone is such that she is commenting on the information. Yes. So it's not just that Andrew liked porn, but it's like, it's, she doesn't, first of all, doesn't call it adult film. She calls it porn. Yep. You know, it's not pornography, it's porn. And it's like S and M and it's, she, she sensationalizes so much of like the sexual stuff in the book. And also she sensationalizes so much of the drug stuff. And she just makes the world that they live in seem so fantastical. And if you didn't know better about like the world, you would think that these gay bars were like meth dens were meth dens where people were having sex like out on top of tables while other people were having sex with other people who were having sex with more people while injecting and drinking yeah. and putting in their anuses like <laughs> i mean she talks about like all the different ways to ingest meth and like, yeah. you know in this community it, they're called drug addicts but the gays call them tweakers and it's just like so dramatic she's so dramatic well, and it, it does it also doesn't feel like she i i feel like um 
one of the things that was really troubling to read it as an authentic American gay person is, um, was that she doesn't like, yeah, of course there are gay people on meth and there are hustlers and there are bars where people are having sex on pool tables and all of those things. But I feel like it's, it's the world that Andrew Kinnanen doesn't come from, or the, sorry, the world that he comes from isn't painted as a subset, isn't painted as a corner, right. isn't painted as an underground. It's painted as gay people. Gay people. It's painted as the gays. Right. And, you know, like the gays do this, the right. gays do that, which is just like such a bummer. Right. It is. And, it, you know, I feel like um, I feel like she gets away with a lot that if if you um, replaced the gays with, say, uh, any race other than white, right. you would be like we're burning this book. We're burning this book. Um, and, and so, you know, it's just like, I I can't say that I was offended by the book necessarily, but I can say that like, if my father in Virginia who like doesn't have a ton of exposure to a spectrum of gay culture, read this book, he definitely would walk away from it being like, Oh yeah, gay people. Uh, they all are HIV positive and are drug users and have really dirty sex. And every room they're in, they leave behind porn and sex toys. Right. So many sex toys everywhere. Like it's just like hanging out of your pocket. Um, so that's, yeah, that's it's true. Tough. She, she gives credence to everything that the people in Andrew Cunanan's world were doing as the, the way that all gay people were doing things and are doing things and are programmed to continue to do things. Yeah. Well, and I feel like she articulates, I think she definitely has a certain empathy for obviously the victims, but also for the, the, the sort of community of witnesses and folks adjacent to Cunanan. But she talks a lot about law enforcement's potential prejudice Sure. towards gay people and how law enforcement, you know, continues to be like, this isn't a gay thing right. while simultaneously like basically outing people sure. in a very devastating way. And the like great terror that comes with being outed. Um, but it feels a little hypocritical to me right? that, that there's both an articulation of a larger problem in law enforcement. Um, and also just like the category of like gay crime. Sure. Well, how- right. And then she brings up like, um, Gacy and Speck and like these other serial right. killers and she's like and they were all gay and bisexual and it's like wait a second like right. we know from uh, tons of research and you know being humans and especially in America that criminals are of all backgrounds and sexualities and, and ethnicities and honestly predominantly heterosexual white men if we're talking about serial yes. killers so this idea that like comparing Andrew Cunanan to these three, you know, um, serial killers and saying like, and they're also gay. Well, I, I like actually the gay feel like, next door could kill you. Yeah. There's, there's many sentences in the book that begin with, uh, statements like usually in gay crimes. Right. And I'm like, gay crimes. Like if I go rob a bank, that's not actually a gay crime. That's, right. just, a crime that's just a crime that was executed by a gay person. Right. Um, but it, and, and you know, it's like, what we're up against right now with like how people talk about brown people. Right. Um, but it, I, I, it's actually hilarious to me. And it's not something that I knew until I read this book that there's, there is a, a sort of school of thinking about like what motivates homosexual killers that right. is different than. <laughs> right. But, and so the, the thing that's interesting and there's like a fine line and I'm, I'm going to try to connect the dots here. So pray for me. Um, 
there is the idea that the police don't want to talk about this being a gay thing because it's just a crime. Like you were saying, if you were to rob a bank, it wouldn't be a gay robbing. It would be a bank robbing. But then there's also this part of it where the police are unwilling to let the gay community know that there is someone potentially in Miami who has killed two possibly a third gay person and that they think is in this city and they're unwilling to actually communicate with the gay community to prevent a future murder. So there's that part that's like, they don't want to say it's a gay thing, but they also know like profiling wise that that's where it's headed. And then there's the part with Maureen Orth, who is so, you know, judgy about gay people. But then this book is the basis of the FX television <laughs> program by Ryan Murphy, who is a noted gay American male who, if you haven't seen the show, I recommend it just like as more information about this. But the whole premise of this nine part show is homophobia made us do it essentially. Uh-huh. Like, so Kunan, like the thesis would be that everything that happened happened because of homophobia. So Kunanin was bullied or felt like he wasn't enough or this and that. And so that led for him to become a murderer and that the victims, because they were, didn't feel welcomed in their families because they were closeted, were unwilling to go forward about Andrew because they were scared that they would get you know, shunned because of past experience, but it's all this stuff that has to do with like homophobia and authority and back and forth. And I just find it really interesting that the source material for this television show is a book that I find to be so openly, if not homophobic, certainly homophobic-ish, uh-huh. <laughs> right? And it's like the police are committing the same crimes against the gay community as Maureen is committing in the book that that this TV show by gay men is purporting to say is the problem. Well, and, and it, I mean, it feels like in the TV show, they're like, they're, they're making that the story, right? The TV show is all about how homophobia is, is the reason that these murders happened, which is kind of what they tried to do with the OJ thing to say that racism is the way, but the line isn't as clear. Um, and I think that has to do with the source material being, being a little skewed. And the show also deviates from the book in certain ways that I found to be like useless just to perpetuate some of it's dumb, um, but some of it's good and they have to guess and fill in the blanks where we don't know the answer. So they make choices, which I'm totally fine with because that's how you make art. Um, But the relationship of homophobia to authority in the book and in the world in this time is just really interesting. And that's the book that I want to read. Yeah. And I absolutely. And I, I think like, you know, the, the, the media and our culture at the time made a choice to make the story about homophobia. Maureen Orth has made a choice to make the story a little about homophobia while also being kind of homophobic. Yes. I, I, but to me, the person at the center of this is um, first and foremost, a liar who is ashamed of where he comes from. Yes. And that where he to comes me, from financially yep, specifically. Yep. And and culturally. Like he's and half Filipino yes, yes, yes. and I think he wishes that he was like a white guy in a braided belt and loafers. Right. Um and so to me like the things that pop from the story are actually much more about masculinity in a broad way mm-hmm. and less about gayness. Um and maybe that's just cuz I'm like a 
homosexual and I'm trying to like pull that out of it. Mm -hmm. But I think that we would look at this guy now more as a serial killer who is working out his dude problems than gay terror doing gay, gay, gay terror things. Right. And if this was now, I think that he has all the signs of like that. He is half Filipino, but he erases that from his identity so much. So what I'm going to say is, is a little bit not true, but he does have that white male fragility that leads to, you know, school shootings and, and, you know, serial killer, like he is following the warning signs that we now see when it comes to this kind of behavior, this like lashing out, not because, I mean, he kills his friend and his ex-partner, not because of anything aside from that he's like jealous that they aren't obsessed with him anymore. Yeah. Well, and he, it feels like it's, it's absolutely about white male fragility. Right. It's all he is. I feel like he's driven more than anything by entitlement. Right. He totally. feels like by some like God given unwritten doctrine, he deserves this life that he right. did not work for, was not born into. Um, and this access to incredible privileges and resources, which is, I mean, a disgusting and mm-hmm. B it's like straight white male disorder party of one. Right. Um, it actually made me think even a little bit about one of my favorite books about murder, American psycho. Oh, sure. Um, we did that. That was the fiction book we did for. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I actually love that book. Yeah, me too. But, but, but this just sort of like rabid, rabid sense of entitlement being the driving force for an enormous amount of terror, um, to me is, is both more interesting. And I would argue maybe a little more true than gay panic, gay hysteria. Right. Totally. I do wonder though, um, about the gay hysteria part is like, I wonder what it was like to be a gay man at that time. Like what it felt like to hear the reporting. Like I know as a black person, um, you know, during, during a lot of the early stages of black lives matter, like people were looking at you to like have the answers or Mm -hmm. to know why didn't Michael Brown you know, put his hands up or, you know, whatever it was, or like, why did he yell at the police officer? It's like, well, first of all, I don't know that guy, but second of all, like, why are you asking, like, why are you coming to me for that? And I wonder if that was a similar thing, like at Thanksgiving, you know, uncle Bob is like, so Michael, you know, you're a gay why did he do it? <laughs> kill five people. <laughs> That's, I mean, that is, that definitely feels like the moment that she is speaking to. Right. And certainly what the, the culture was thinking at the time, sure. I think. I mean, it's also, it's a really interesting moment because it's, it was at the, it was as AIDS was becoming something that could be thought of as manageable. Sure. Or maybe not AIDS, but certainly HIV. And, you know, I, I think it's really interesting. And this is sort of a footnote in the book, but one of the, early speculations of um the like impulse the motive for the murder of versace was that versace could have given cunanan hiv right and it was a revenge kill um which is absurd but also the idea Cunanan did not have hiv cunanan did not have hiv um but the idea that it was a moment in time that where that could be a thing yes like that that was like a motive for murder yes um that that like hiv was just like absolutely a life destroyer. And I mean, right. that's, you know, that's real. I mean, I think that even when I was coming out 15 years ago, 
a huge part of the trauma of that was people being like, well, you're going to get HIV and you're going to die. <laughs> um, truly. Th- so thanks, Grandma. <laughs> and congratulations for finding yourself. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, I, I thank God we've, we've, we've evolved as a culture from that. But mm-hmm. I, I think that that is a huge piece of it is just the fear and lack of understanding of what it means to be a gay person and also how, like, pe- people are actually different. Like, right. we don't have a secret code. We don't right. look at each other and know everything about each other. Gayness is not a monolith. <laughs> but people still have a hard time with that. Like, and by people, I'm actually speaking directly to white men um, and sometimes white women have a hard time with understanding that just like there are 50 different television shows about white lawyers right. and each one is a different lawyer with different passions that, you know, Filipino people are not all the same and gay men are not all the same and people who are differently abled are not all the same and that you know this one man with entitlement and sexuality and ethnic and financial issues committed murder is not an indictment on people who have sex with people of the same gender like yeah. which seems silly that I should have to say this. Nope. I, it, but like this book does not say that. It feels like the rock to stand on after reading this yes, book for 100%. sure. Um I do want to talk about the title briefly because after reading the book I was like how the fuck did she pick this title? <laughs> the title is called Vulgar Favors: The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Sam, why don't you talk about the title and then I'll chime in. Sure. Well, uh as I recall, um, vulgar favors is not a phrase that is used at any point no. in the book. It's not a quote. It's not pulled from anything. So that is Maureen Orth's uh, choice to put an umbrella over the whole thing. Um, yes, sure. This is a, the central character in this book is somebody who was fueled by get, taking things from people. Sure. Um, you know, she definitely paints a portrait of him that is somebody who, you know, latched on to older, wealthy gay men. And, um, but the word vulgar is pretty horrible to me. It is. Um, because it really feels like, I mean, it's a judgment mm-hmm. and I don't, I mean, ultimately, like if we're talking about Cunanan sort of rolling around with these older gay men, first of all, like, I don't think that, you can really make a judgment of that unless you're inside of it. Interesting like, that that's what you think that the vulgar was referring to. I, I thought it was like about the drugs and stuff. I Well, I I mean, I just think, yeah, I think the drugs are attached to sure. it. But I, I feel like, I feel like there's a cycle of um, doing things for other people to get something sure. that is not necessarily bad. Sure. It's not, it's maybe like, it's like, don't like, maybe you don't have to do like, like S and M, but right. that doesn't mean that if you do S and M, it's um, like a it's bad, right? Like it's just I just don't think that there are favors in the book. I don't think that trading sex for money is a favor. Yes, that's like yes, an yes, economic yes. agreement. It's a transaction. It's a transaction. Yes. like maybe if you say like transactional relationships yes. as the title of your book, that seems no. more fair. But the, a favor is something that someone does for you, like out of like 
the uh, to help you. Yeah, and if and if Andrew Cunanan is like, I'm gonna have sex with, I'm gonna like have sex and give meth to this like rich seventy year old who's then gonna pay my rent for a year. Okay, like I have some thoughts about that, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's not a favor. Mm-mm. And calling it vulgar is kind of on you. Like right. they actually might be good with that transaction, right? Just because you're not into it. Yeah, and I mean, I hadn't, I had thought much more about the word vulgar than the word favors, but it's so deeply attached to the i think both of our larger feelings about the right. book but it it casts a shadow on the everybody in it right and it i mean honestly it's the perfect title for the book that it's a title that for she because she wrote a book about about being disgusted by a subset <laughs> of humans is like how she feels but it's there's not a favor in the book and while you might not personally reader be super into snm or you know meth or you know whatever sexual things or murder whatever it doesn't necessarily make it vulgar no it's just like there's a lot of things that happen behind closed doors vulgar is such a judgment call also the subtitle the assassination of gianni versace also it was clearly just to sell books because the book is so barely about versace he comes in like 50 pages before the end yeah it's like he it's like he comes in just to get killed essentially and you know he's brought up a few times earlier on i also don't necessarily know if i consider it an assassination so much like it didn't seem like it was motivated for political reasons, and I feel like that's kind of what makes something an assassination versus a murder. It it it, it really feels like we're reaching there. Like, we're reaching there to sell books. Yeah, and and also the various speculations about how Cunanan and Versace were linked, which mm-hmm. is like barely at best. Right. Um. That's that hearsay that the Versace family is talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It just it's like I don't know if you rename the book just like. Andrew Cunanan's killing spree feel like you sell just as many books and it seems a little bit more accurate or like the life and times of Andrew Cunanan or like the life and death or you know it's this book is about Andrew Cunanan through and through for sure as it should be because he is the connecting link between everything but the title is just so grabby and it's gross I mean talk about vulgar the title is like so just gross and judgy and after reading the when I went into the book, I was thinking like I'm gonna find out about all this like gross like favors and like yeah. you know someone paid off so and so to kill Versace and this and that and it's just not supported. No, well the only vulgar favors that you actually hear about in the book are the like low key mention of the Versace family. Who, right. to be clear. I was doing some shady stuff. We are curious. We would like to read that book. So anybody writing that book or in the Versace expose. Yes. Because there is a Versace book. I can't remember the name and it contradicts a lot of the, the vulgar favors book. And it talks about a little bit more of Versace's past, but it's also pretty much disputed by a Uh lot of people because I believe the Versace family was paid or there was a large donation made to a charity by them for access well i mean even in this book it's like you hear like two weeks or two months before versace was killed his brother was like charged with bribery in italy um they like they had the funeral at like the big church in milan and donated seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars to that church like it and that's just like I, I like maureen orth is not talking about the versace family when she decided to call her book vulgar favors But there might be some vulgar favors there. There might be some favors at least. Sure. Sure. Um, I feel really strong about having spoken about this book. <laughs> and I think I can like leave this book alone for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, did you have anything that you wanted to add about it? 
I don't. I want to, yeah, I want to like let our friend Maureen a little off the hook. Yeah. Only because I think that it feels so of its time. It certainly. And, you know, like if, if, if I were teaching this book as part of a class, I would absolutely want to read five other books about homosexual topics. Sure. From 1998, 1999. Yeah. Um, cause I just, I think that there is a, cultural tone shift that we've undertaken that maureen um does not benefit from at this yeah point. and that like yeah. like i i just like wonder i wonder what the hindsight is for her on this um because i i think that you have to read i mean i don't know that i would say that i recommend this book necessarily but i think if you're going to read it i think you have to read it as a period piece sure and both in terms of like what it's talking about but how it's talking about it yeah, I agree completely. I agree. I actually, to be honest, I kind of enjoy, there are part of the book, parts of the book that I actually enjoyed reading, but, and that was mostly the talking about the crimes and yes. like the describing what happened and talking about the police and those interviews. It, when she starts to contextualize, that's where I was like, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, but it, it is entertaining. Like I gave this book, I would give this book like three stars. I gave it three stars on Goodreads. Ooh, Goodreads, follow us on Goodreads. Um, okay. So I think that's it for now. Um, and by for now, I mean for this week. Uh, I will be back next week with my guest, who Sam knows actually, uh, Vela Lavelle. Yeah, She's a fantastic actress. Um, and we'll talk, she and I will talk next week. And then the book that she and I are reading is called New Boy by Tracy Chevalier. And it's um, a retelling of Shakespeare's Othello. So check out that book. And Sam, I love you dearly. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tracy. And everybody else, we'll see you in the stacks. That does it for us today on The Stacks. Thank you all for listening. Please make sure that you subscribe to The Stacks wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen to us through iTunes, please rate and review the show. Thank you again to Sam Pinkleton. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright. Our theme music is from Tagirajis. And The Stacks was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you in The Stacks. <laughs>